0: Welcome, welcome to church. Happy Sunday. If you need a a copy of the scriptures, please raise your hand and someone will come and give that to you. And if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, uh, feel free to take that home, that sojourn's gift to you. Today I'll be reading from Philippians 4, 8 through 9. So if you could please stand for for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is any excellence, there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? morning. Good, good. Thanks for braving the non snow that we're having. Uh, it's good to, to be with you and worship with you this morning. My name is Justin, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and uh, just looking forward to jumping into, into God's Word with you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, though, before we do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come before you this morning and acknowledge your presence. We come before you this morning and are grateful that, God, there is nowhere we can go. There's nowhere we can run. There's nowhere we can hide that you are not there. And in moments, that can be terrifying. But, God, that's a gift of grace that you are ever-present, that you are over all things, that you are available to us to come to, as we looked at last week. God, this morning we come weary, so we pray you'd give us rest. This morning, we come overwhelmed. We pray that you'd give us peace. We come maybe distracted. We pray that you'd give us faith and focus this morning. God, we long to hear from you. We need to hear from you today. And so I pray as we dive into your word, that you'd give us ears to hear that we would have open hearts and open minds to receive what you would speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd fill us Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make yourself known in our lives, that you'd make yourself known in our community, even as we gather this morning. And God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe it today. Give us faith to believe what you say, to trust you and to follow you in faithfulness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Amy, my wife, had to get glasses to help her with a little bit of her, her vision. It's not something she has to Her glasses sh- aren't things she has to wear all the time, but when she's on the computer or reading, it just kind of helps her to be able to do that, to focus in. And I'm thankful that up to this point, at least right now, I haven't had to have corrective vision. Uh, and I think that's because I get some of the genes from my mom's side of the family. My dad has worn glasses for a long time, but but in my mom's side of the family, that hasn't been the case. My grandfather uh, didn't have glasses until I think he was about in his 70s, and that was only for reading, and that's not common. That's not a common occurrence. Statistically speaking, about 75 percent of American adults have some form of vision correction. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's actually a really Great thing, a blessing that we have the technology and ability to have corrective vision for our eyes if we need it, so that we can see things in focus. As we come to our text today, Paul, the author of this letter that we've been walking through over the last few months, as he's writing to this church in Philippi, and by God's grace, the power of his Spirit has written this letter to us as well. He gives an exhortation, he gives a command, and he does so for our joy and for our good. And in doing so, he provides the gift of focus. In doing so, he provides the gift of vision correction as you and I engage the world around us. See, Paul doesn't call us to remove ourselves from the world. Paul doesn't call us to step out of the world, but instead, as we find ourselves in the world, to see things rightly. To have the discipline to discern what is truly glorious. As we live in a world that offers us all kinds of counterfeits. Counterfeits that we can all be tempted to follow, to be confused with, to be taken captive by. Counterfeits that can lead us to look for life in other people or other things. To look just like the rest of the world and fall away from the living God so my hope today and the main goal of our time in this text is that God would enable us by the power and the work of his spirit to be disciplined in our dwelling. To be disciplined in our dwelling. So that as we're disciplined in our dwelling, we might faithfully follow Jesus in a world that is set against him. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians 4, the text that Josh just read for us this morning. And whether you call yourself a Christian or not, My hope is that the gloriousness of God would capture your mind's attention and your heart's affection today. As we look at these two verses, at the end of this letter, we come to the final command that God gives to us. We have a little bit left, as you can see in your Bible, a little bit left in this letter of the Philippians. But this is the last time that Paul specifically gives a command to us. The rest of what he's going to talk about, there's lots for us to learn from In it, that we'll see over these next few weeks, but it's a lot of personal stuff that Paul is relating to us. This is a direct exhortation command that he gives to us. And in this, Paul really ties together much of what he's been calling us to throughout this letter. So let's start with this command, which you actually see at the end of verse 8. He says, think about these things. Think about these things. Now before we get to what it is that we're supposed to think about... Let's make sure we understand what it means to think, when Paul says to think. And this isn't a call to intellectualism. Paul isn't calling us to think in such a way that we would increase in knowledge. Like we're just using our brains in that way to solve a particular problem. To think here also isn't about having an opinion about something. A lot of times we can say stuff like, I think that Coke is better than Pepsi. Or I think that Five Guys is better than In-N-Out which I do actually think that that's true. But I may feel really strongly about all of those things, but at the end of the day, it's just an opinion that you're free to disagree with. Now, when Paul is calling us to think, he's calling us to give careful thought to something. He's calling us to consider, to reflect, to ponder. Paul is calling us to dwell on something, to to set our minds on something, to soak in something something. So what is it that we're called to think about? What is it that we're called to dwell on? Well, he says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. That's what we're supposed to be thinking on, what we're supposed to dwell on. See, when something is true, that something is consistent with fact or reality, it it isn't false. When something is honorable, That something is, it's something that's worthy of respect, something that's noble or dignified. Something that's just is something that conforms to justice or law or uprightness. When something is pure, that's something that's without defect. It isn't tainted by evil. Something that's lovely is something that's beautiful or pleasing to the senses, Something that is commendable is something that's worthy of approval, worthy of praise. In fact, Paul ends this list by saying if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, it's kind of a summary statement for these list of things that we're supposed to think about. And what he's listing out for us here, calling us to think on, calling us to dwell on, is a list of virtues. In fact, the the word translated excellence can also be translated Virtue. virtue is an admirable quality. It's a a display of moral excellence. And so his command is to dwell on whatever we see, whatever we experience that exhibits these virtues of being true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, or commendable. Now these virtues would have been familiar to the Philippians because these virtues were valued in Roman culture. And the city of Philippi is in a Roman colony. And so as we look at these virtues, we see that Paul's calling this to the, the Philippians as something they're familiar with. And I was, you know, I was reading these, these verses this week, and I was rereading them and thinking about them, and I was just like, you know, this kind of just sounds nice to read. Like, you could easily put this on some picture on Facebook or Instagram with a nice mountainous background, like, oh, yeah, that just makes me feel good. Like, let me just think about these good things. But is that what Paul is calling us to? Like, he's given us these strong exhortations in the book of Philippians. He's called us to live lives worthy of the gospel. He's called us to live for Christ, to say, to live for Christ, to die as gain. He's calling us to put it all out there, to suffer for Jesus, to walk in humility like Christ, to live humble lives, laying down our wants and our needs and our desires to serve someone else. He's called us to unity together to love one another in that way. He's called us and reminded us that we're citizens of heaven. Is he ending this letter now by telling us just to be good people? To dwell on common cultural values that anybody could say, yeah, that that sounds like a good idea. Why is Paul saying this right now? What is he actually calling us to do? See, Scripture is clear that all have sinned And fallen short of the glory of God. All have rebelled against God and his good will and his good ways. And sin, it shatters our relationship with God. It shatters our relationship with one another. But sin also effects and infects every aspect of who we are as a person. From our head to our toes, inside and out, sin creeps in and infects everything. And so because of sin, our minds and our hearts are unable to see and discern goodness. Our minds and our hearts are are unable to see and discern glory, glory clearly. We have difficulty doing it. And our mind is important to our spiritual life. Our mind is important to our experience of the world that we live in. Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So our faith isn't just about feelings. It's about using our brains, using our minds to think on and dwell on truth and reality. And so we find ourselves just like the Philippians. And I would argue maybe even a little bit more than Philippians, though, living in a world that's full of distraction, that's calling us to focus on other things, that's calling our minds to something else. We live in a world full of temptation. All around us are enticements and opportunities to fall away from following Jesus. All around us are enticements and opportunities to be tempted to lose hope in who God is, to seek joy and peace in something or someone else. I've seen that happen in heartbreaking ways twice, even just this week, in the midst of this community, choosing something else that the world would offer instead of choosing Jesus. See, we have to see that the inverse of Paul's command is also true. Paul calls us to think uncertain things, but the inverse of that is also a reality. Do not think about or dwell on whatever is untrue, dishonorable, unjust, impure, unlovely, uncommendable. This is a significant challenge because you and I live in a culture that says that truth is relative. We live in a culture that says that morality is self-determined. That if you you are your own autonomous person and you can decide what is right or wrong, what is good or not. We live in a culture that constantly is calling us And showing us that the impure should be pursued. We live in a culture and a world that often calls evil good and good evil. So what should we do? Do we remove ourselves from culture? Do we remove ourselves from the world? Where would we go? Should we all just like put our money together and build a compound? Right? Just put some like 20-foot walls up and just don't let anybody else in and just kind of do our own thing? Should we disengage from our neighbors? And go into our homes as if they're castles or a refuge, pull up the drawbridge and talk to no one? How do we engage in the midst of a world that's calling us away from Christ? Well, just like Jesus prayed in John 17, Paul never calls us to leave the world. Paul never calls us to remove ourselves completely from culture. And so in order for us to be people who live in the midst of the world we find ourselves in, to be in the world but not taken captive by, by the world, Paul is calling us to the discipline of dwelling. He's calling us to the discipline of dwelling, to dwell on goodness, to dwell on gloriousness in the midst of the mess, wherever it's present. That our mind's attention, our heart's affection would be pointed towards those things. But again, we can read that and think: okay, that sounds good. Makes me feel warm inside to think about these kinds of things, but, but how do we know? How do we know what is true versus untrue? How do we know what is honorable versus dishonorable, just versus unjust, pure versus impure, lovely versus unlovely, commendable versus uncommendable? How do we know what is truly excellent and worthy of praise? The world is throwing all kinds of stuff at you all of the time. It's telling you what to think. It's telling you what to feel. It's telling you what to believe. And the world is totally fine doing your thinking for you if you'll let it that you can go on autopilot and passively just roll with the way that things are. So in order to practice the discipline of dwelling on the good and the glorious, what is truly good and truly glorious, we need to grow in discernment. We need to grow in discernment. Discernment is about wisdom. It takes wisdom to separate out what is good from what isn't, to spot the fake from the real But too often, even when we're trying to discern what is right or wrong, good or not good, real or fake, we tend to do so by looking at the thing in and of itself and trying to figure it out on our own. Like we we think about a movie that we want to watch and we say, well, should I watch this movie or shouldn't I watch it? We're just looking at it, trying to figure that out on our own. We think about, should I listen to this artist or not listen to this artist? Should I spend my money on this thing or not? Should I work for this organization? Should I take this job or not? Should I be in this relationship with this person or not? And when we do that, it's like looking at a painting that's credited to Renoir or Monet, trying to determine if it's real or not by just looking at that one picture with no reference point, no knowledge about the original works, to be able to spot if this is real or isn't. Last week we looked at verses, one, verses 5 through 7, that because God is God, that He is ever present and active, Paul calls us not to be anxious, but to go to God in prayer with everything, to bring everything before Him, all of our life, every detail of it before Him, knowing and believing that the Lord is at hand, that God is ever present in your life, that He is. Caring about what is going on in your life. And when you do that, he says he will give you peace. A peace that passes understanding and does what? Guards your heart and your mind in Christ. So we have to see that what Paul is calling us to here in verse 8 is connected to everything else he's already said. He's calling us now to use our guarded minds, to discipline ourselves, to dwell on truly glorious things. As we find ourselves in a distracting world. See friends, the good news of the gospel is that through Christ and what he's done for you, that Jesus came and took on humanity and lived a perfect life. And Jesus went to a cross to bear the full weight for your sin and your shame so that you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. The reality of the good news of the gospel is that through Christ you can be forgiven and set free. And in that, The good news of the gospel is that you have a new heart. God gives you a new heart and he gives you a a new mind that he's continuing to renew. And so if we're going to be disciplined in our dwelling, if we're going to discipline ourselves to dwell on what is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable in a world and in our lives, then our reference point must always be the one who made all things. Our triune God is the creator and sustainer of all things. Father, Son, and Spirit give definition to these virtues. And all of these virtues are most clearly seen in the person of Christ. Jesus is true. He is honorable. He is just. He is pure. He is lovely. He is commendable. Jesus is radiant and glorious and magnificent and extravagant. And he is loving. Jesus is like us, but he's not like us. And he is worthy of all of our praise. We have to look to Jesus first if we want to know what we should do and focus our minds in when it comes to all these good and glorious things that Paul calls us to think about. Our world is overrun with inauthentic things. And social media has only made that worse. I mean, so often we can look at a picture or a video that we put out there or somebody else puts out there and it's, It's a small, tiny glimpse of someone's life that may or may not even be real. We tend to put our best foot forward on social media. We tend to elevate the things of our life that are good but never talk about the things that are struggles. And if that's all we ever take in, if that's all we're ever thinking about, then it can be confusing. It can leave us disoriented thinking we're on the outside of all the good things that are going on in life. See, when we look at the world Without our reference point being Jesus, it's like looking at the world through a pair of corrective lenses that are the wrong prescription. and They're smudged and dirty that we don't see anything clearly through them. But when we see things in light of authentic Jesus, of the real Jesus, we're given new eyes. New eyes to see the world around us. We're given clear, corrective lenses that magnify the majesty of God see his character and his nature on display. The light shines in the darkness and illuminates all that's around us. And it's then that we're able to, able to quickly discern with much greater ease what is true from what is untrue, what is just from what is unjust, so on and so forth. So when we look at the original work, the work of the original, we can quickly determine the knockoffs. And I was challenged with that even this week. Of course, as God often does, walking through the word to preach it, he gives me opportunity to apply it to my own life. And and this last week has been especially difficult. Last few weeks, opportunities to wrestle with, am I going to be anxious or trust God with what he's doing? And even opportunities this week to be distracted. Several challenging, hard things, health issues of people that I care about. Waywardness of brothers and sisters that I care about, a blistering email sent in response to trying to love and look out for someone. And then there's just the daily pressures and challenges of life. And I've been heavy-hearted this week. I've been weary this week. My mind, in the midst of that then, has been tempted to wander, to focus in on less glorious things. But I'm so thankful for this text, because it isn't something that's just nice to put on a Instagram post or Facebook with a nice background on it. This is life. It's God's word to us. And God has used it in my life this week to remind me to look for what is real and true and good and glorious in the midst of the mess. It's reminded me to see the many amazing things that God is doing in and through this body of believers. It's reminded me once again to set my gaze on Jesus. To look to him when everything else maybe seems like it's falling Apart. See, as Paul calls us to the discipline of dwelling, he is giving us a pattern and path for discernment that comes as a result of dwelling on and delighting in the gloriousness of Christ our King. Instead of looking at the thing, we look to Jesus first. If we want to know if we should watch something, listen to something, do something. See, friends, we need to understand that there's a battle going on for your mind. There's a battle going on for your heart. There's a battle going on for what your mind's attention is focused on. There's a battle going on for what your heart's affections are drawn to. Because we dwell on what we love and we love what we dwell on. And what we love affects the way that we live. When your mind and your heart are focused on something or someone else, your actions will follow suit but our assurance and hope is in the magnificent reality that Jesus has come and he will come again. But now we live in the in-between. And so as we find ourselves in a world that God has not called us to pull out of, to separate ourselves from, it means then all the more that we must be disciplined about what our mind is focused on and dwelling on. See, Brothers and sisters, Paul, again, he isn't calling us to the to to remove ourselves from the world. But in this verses that sound nice, that sound good, Paul isn't calling us to the power of positive thinking. Like just think good thoughts and everything will be okay. No, he is calling us to dwell on the greatness and glory of God seen in the person of Christ. That's why he says in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't go along with the way the world's going. Don't think the way the world's thinking. Don't act like the way the world is acting, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That your mind would be transformed by looking to Christ, by setting your gaze on him. And then he says this, That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't do that if you're not practicing the discipline of dwelling on what is truly good and truly glorious. That's why he ends his letter to the Philippians with this exhortation. Paul is taking culture's valued virtues and pointing to the source and example of those virtues in Jesus. He's helping you to not be distracted, but discerning of what is truly glorious. Brothers and sisters, as as followers of Jesus, you and I are called to be in the world, but not of the world. God has not called us out of this world, but to actually go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. In order to be effective in doing this, we don't separate ourselves from our neighbors. We don't separate ourselves from culture, the culture that God has providentially placed you in. Acts 17 says God determines the time and place in which you find yourself. You live in Fairfax, Virginia, Fairfax County right now in 2019 on purpose. God has put you here. So what that means though then is that we have to figure out how to engage the culture that we live in. I think Paul is giving us a way to do that. One way that we can do that is by appreciating and celebrating where and when we see things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. Why? Because we know and we believe that they point us and our world to our Creator and King. I mean, it's an amazing reality that you can drive 20 minutes if there's no traffic, which is not common, but you can drive 20 minutes down the road into D.C. and you can go to the National Museum of Art and you can walk around there. There's been multiple times where I've been on the mall and I need to go to the bathroom and I just go into the art museum to go to the restroom. And I'm like, I'm surrounded by art that's been made sometimes hundreds and hundreds of years before. Walls, galleries lined with it. And I can walk through there and be in awe of the artistic ability of a human being to create these beautiful pictures. You can go into an art museum and enjoy that. You can go to a concert or listen to music and be just blown away by the sounds that are coming through those speakers into your ears and into your brain and affecting you and thinking, man, this is crazy that person can play this instrument that way. It's crazy that this person can sing in this way. You can enjoy a wonderful meal, have just the tastes explode in your mouth and think about the richness of food that God didn't have to allow you to taste food like you may need food for the nourishment of your body but God also allowed you to enjoy it and we can do all of those things and be doing what Paul is calling us to do first Corinthians 10 31 Paul says whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all to the glory of God Paul says, whatever you see that is true, whatever you see that is excellent, whatever you see that is worthy of praise, all of these things that he lists out that are just and pure and lovely, all of these things, we can do these things. We can appreciate the things in our world as gifts of God, as they display his creativity, as they display his majesty. As you enjoy all of these things, you can be reminded that all of his goodness of his creation hasn't been lost or destroyed. Because even the very person who created that wonderful meal or that amazing piece of music or a wonderful picture that you can enjoy, even that person speaks to these virtuous things because they are made in the image of God even if they don't acknowledge it. They still shout of God's glory. God's given us opportunity as the creator to extend the wonder and excellency and goodness and glory of his creation. He always gets the glory, no matter who it is that's doing the thing. Listen, you and I are only able to do this. We're only able to celebrate these things, to point them back to who God is when we first discipline ourselves to dwell on the glory of God shown to us in Jesus. And so, verse 8 is not a call to remove yourself from the world, but to be discerning in the midst of it, appreciating good, beautiful things, but at the same time being aware of false gospels that can subtly creep in and seep into the minds and hearts of God's people, pulling you away from Jesus. See, in the midst of these good and glorious things we can see around us, we can, if we're not careful, be taken captive by materialism. Thinking that if I just have more things, if I have these kinds of things, then I'll be happy and at peace. We can be taken captive by hedonism, believing that if I can just have more pleasure and comfort in this life, then I'll be happy and at peace. We can be taken captive by a false gospel of nationalism, that if we can elevate the goodness of our country or our nation, then I'll be happy and at peace. We can be taken captive by the false gospel of racism that says that my race, my ethnicity is superior to someone else's. And if I can elevate myself over someone else and push them down, then I'll be happy and at peace. And then for most of us, the thing that we can be most taken captive by is the false gospel of individualism. That I am my own person, the captain of my own ship. And if I can do what I want to do, make my own rules, do whatever it is that I feel like, then I'll be happy and at peace friends, our king and his kingdom are in stark, stand in stark contrast to all of those things. But our world is being tossed to and fro. It it has all these things coming at them all the time. And we find ourselves in the middle of this world that's being tossed to and fro on the winds and waves of counterfeit hope and empty promises. That's where we come in as God's people, left in this world to make much of our savior and our king. When we as God's redeemed people bought with the blood of Christ celebrate what is true in a relativistic society, we offer life. When we celebrate the honor and dignity of all people because we believe and know that all people are made in God's image, in a culture that doesn't celebrate that, we offer life. When we celebrate Justice for all people in an unjust world, we offer life. When we celebrate what is pure in a world that constantly peddles impurity to you, we offer life. When we celebrate what is truly lovely and beautiful in a world that has a narrow view of loveliness, we offer life. When we commend the commendable in a world that often overlooks, we offer life. Because in all of this, we point to the one who came the one who came to rescue us from death by laying down his life for us and who will come again to make all things new. We are able to do this when we are disciplined in our dwelling. As one scholar writes, developing a Christian mind and character requires a lifetime, a lifetime of discerning and disciplined thought about all the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. When Paul finishes these commands here in Philippians. He isn't just throwing out a nice ending line for us. He is calling us to a lifelong pursuit of dwelling on what is truly good and truly glorious. See, Paul is closing his letter by exhorting us to be attentive people. He's calling us to be reflective people, meditative thinkers, but to do so with the mind of Christ and a mind set on Christ. At the end of the day, this is a call to discipline yourself, to focusing and filling your mind with things and on things that will lead you to worship and treasure God above all else. So let me ask you, what is it that you're dwelling on? Where is your mind's attention and your heart's affection? What is your mind and heart most focused on? What's the main source of input in your life right now are you working and wearing working in life and living in life wearing corrective lenses or a prescription that's out of whack dirty and smudged i want you to take time this week to think about that take time to pray about that ask for god to reveal that to you ask people in community to help you Today, I want to give you three practical things that I think will help you practice the discipline of dwelling using the means of grace that God has given to you. The first one is to read. A few weeks ago, I challenged all of us to read our Bible every day to see Jesus in it, to relentlessly pursue God through his word, that we would be a church that does that, that relentlessly pursues God through his word, believing that he speaks to us through his living and active word. And all of scripture can help us with this. But as I was thinking about this text and particular text that would drive us to see these virtuous things, these good and glorious things that Paul calls us to think on, two things came to mind. I'd encourage you this week or over the next few weeks to read through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. See Jesus talk about these kinds of things, what is true and lovely and pure and just. Read the Psalms of Ascent. I referenced these last week, but Psalm 120 through 134. These 15 Psalms, take the next two weeks to read one every day and see these things just pour out in God's word to focus your mind and attention on that. And then I also want us as a church to get prepared for where we're going in the preaching of God's word. We're almost done with the book of Philippians. And after that, we're going to do a few weeks talking about some of our hopes for our church, what we believe God is calling us to. Then we get to celebrate Easter together, celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And then right after that, we're going to jump into the book of Ruth. And then we're going to spend time in the gospel of John, seeing Jesus in that. And it's through these books that I believe God will, by the work of his spirit, use this time in his word individually, use this time in his word corporately to help us see what is true and honorable and just and pure, and lovely and commendable so that we might be able to discern the real from the fake in the world around us. And then we can go and we can offer our world what is true and lasting in Jesus. So be in God's word, read God's word, so can it sit in it. The second thing is run. Run away from counterfeits and run to the authentic. The siren call of the world is strong. Do you know the story of the sirens? Where Odysseus is is journeying along and there's these siren calls. They have these beautiful voices that become mesmerizing to you in such a way that people are basically put in a trance and sucked into getting close to them where they were dashed on the rocks in front of these sirens and eaten and destroyed by them. And the world is constantly singing you sweet songs to draw you in and away from Jesus. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter one. Listen to this sobering truth from Romans one, 21 through 25. Speaking of the world, Paul writes, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But listen to this, but they became futile in their thinking, in their dwelling, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. See, practicing the discipline of dwelling on what is truly good and glorious requires running away from the enticements of the world and running to the source of joy in King Jesus. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Flee, run away from youthful passions and pursue, run towards righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. And he says to do that along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And Paul tells us to run towards all that we find and all that we're given in Jesus and he calls us to do so together. See, if we're going to practice the discipline of dwelling, we have to run the race with others. Something Paul has communicated to us over and over again throughout this letter. And I think actually leads to the second verse in verse nine of what he calls us to. Look at verse nine. He calls us to think on all these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Initially, this might seem disconnected, but I don't think that's the case. Paul has told us to dwell on and delight in all that's good and glorious. Now he's calling us to put into practice all we've learned and received and heard and seen in him. He's instructed us well in the gospel. He has instructed us well in the person and work of Christ. We have a fantastic view of who Jesus is, but he doesn't want the Philippians and he doesn't want us just to know the gospel. He wants us to live out the implications of the gospel. That we wouldn't be full of knowledge in our heads, it wouldn't impact our heart and our life. He wants us to practice these things. Why? Because our actions and the way we live will flow from what we dwell on. And so as you dwell on and delight in the glorious and good things of God, instead of being distracted by the counterfeit offerings of this world, then you are free to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. But friends, discernment can be difficult if you're flying solo. And so again, he exhorts us to look to others to help us along the way and then to practice what we know and see in them, to look to their example of dwelling on what is good and glorious and run the race with them together as we pursue Christ. Maybe sometimes you just don't know what it is that you're supposed to focus on. Maybe as you think about engaging with God's word, you don't know exactly what that looks like and how to do that. That's what community is for. That you have brothers and sisters around you that would love to journey with you in that, to do it together, to open up God's word, to continue to help one another reorient our minds and hearts on what is good and right. We're called to discipline ourselves in a way that would fill our mind with things that will lead us to worship and treasure God above all else and to help others do the same. And we can help our neighbors do that as they are tempted to be taken captive by the offerings of the world. We can help one another do that as we exist in community with one another. And I think a great way for us to do this to help others is to help our kids do that. And it doesn't matter if you have kids or not that share your name If you're a part of this church, you have a whole lot of kids. And then we're called to care for one another, to disciple the kids around us, to point them to what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. They need men and women who have their gaze set on Jesus to help them see that Jesus is the source of lasting joy and peace. There's opportunity, whether it's serving and sojourning kids on a Sunday morning or just spending time with families, helping one another to be able to do this. Practice moves things beyond contemplation to action. Beyond just thinking to action, but it starts with what we're setting our minds and our hearts on. So we can read God's word. We can run away from enticements and towards what is true in Jesus. And finally, as we seek to discipline ourselves to dwell on what is good and glorious, we're invited to rest and rejoice. Paul gives us another promise in verse 9. I don't want us to overlook this. When we think about these things and practice these things, he declares the God of peace will be be with you. Friends, this might be the most good and glorious thing that you could ever hear or think about or dwell on. That as we live in the in-between, waiting for Jesus to come again, that the God of peace will be with you. Last week he said the peace of God will be given to you. Now he's saying the God of peace is going to be there with you. He's reminding us that the Lord is at hand, that he is with us, that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, whether life is full of massive difficulty or just the mundane daily tasks the God of all creation, the one who defines what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, whose glory has been seen and shown in the person and work of Jesus who promises to change you from one degree of glory to another is intimately involved in the details of your life. There is no peace apart from his presence. So Paul calls us, think about that. Set your gaze on that. What an amazing promise what amazing news to dwell on that and when we do it allows us to rest in the midst of life it allows us and causes us to rejoice in a world that is set against Christ brothers and sisters as you find yourself in a world full of distractions let's be faithful and encourage one another to practice the discipline of dwelling on what is truly good and truly glorious so that our love and our lives will be consistent with our confession that Jesus is Lord. To God be the glory. Amen. One way that we can practice the discipline of dwelling together is by coming forward to take communion. In this meal, we are refreshed with the goodness and glory of the presence of Christ. But as we eat the bread, we see a display of the fact that Christ's body was broken for us. As we drink the cup, we see a display of the fact that Christ's blood was shed for us. It gives us an opportunity to respond to God's word. It gives us an opportunity to reorient our minds and our hearts on our Savior, delighting in him for who he is and what he has done and he is doing in your life even now. So let me encourage you, lay down your distraction this morning. Maybe that literally means putting your phone down. Lay down your distractions. Set aside the siren call of the world. Brothers and sisters, throw off the sin that so easily entangles and run to the table this morning. Run, resting and rejoicing in the grace and loving kindness of your God. But let me also exhort you that if you are walking in unrepentant sin right now, if you know That you're living in a way and pursuing things right now that are not honoring to God, that are walking in disobedience, and you have not turned away from that and turned to Christ in repentance. Let me implore you, don't take communion this morning. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Repent and turn to him now in this moment. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we should take communion in a worthy manner. And when we don't take it in a worthy manner, that's why some of us are sick and some of us have even died. It's serious when we come to the table because we come confessing that Jesus is Lord. So if you're not doing that right now, then turn to him in this moment. And for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, that you're not claiming to know Christ, we're thankful that you're here this morning, that God in his providence, in his sovereignty, whether through a friend or just on your own, decided that to bring you here this morning. And if that's where you're at right now, still trying to figure out who God is or who Jesus is or what this whole church thing is about, I just want to invite you to stay in your seat. Don't come forward and take communion. Because if your confession isn't yet Jesus is Lord, then we want you to just to pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're ready to begin a relationship with Christ, that you can just hang in your seat and tell God that. And let somebody around you know that so we can help you know what it looks like to know and follow Christ and you can come and take communion next week. For those of you that will come forward, come to the tables in the front or the back, tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Christ, our Savior and Lord, the most good and glorious and righteous person ever has done for you, will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Great and glorious God, we come before you this morning and we just plead with you that you would help us to practice the discipline of dwelling. God, would you help us to set our mind on Christ? Help us to not be taken captive by less glorious things. And God, I ask that you'd forgive me for that. I pray and ask God that you'd forgive all of us of that, where we've been led astray even this week to set our minds on things that are less glorious than Christ. Forgive us for those moments of distraction. God, may everything that is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, may it lead us, God, not to worship the creation, but to worship you, our creator. Would it lead us, God, to worship you and tell the world of your glory and grace? We need your help, God. We need the help of one another to do this. And we thank you for your word that points us to Christ, the most glorious of all. We pray this in his name. Amen.